0: and ninja.
1: Hey everybody! I'm Adam and I'm Matt, and we are Graveyard Tales. I'm
2: Jerry, and I'm Tracy from Hillbilly Horror
1: Stories. We want to invite you out to see us, Hillbilly Horror Stories, EVP Mediums, and Macabre Melts at our live event in Nashville on October 20th. This paranormal event is at the perfect location: Hell Dark Aesthetics, better known as
2: Hell Nashville.
1: Or you can buy books on witchcraft, Alistair Crowley, or maybe you just want to buy an animal skull or a bundle of sage, maybe some tarot cards, or a Ouija board. Showtime is 7 p.m. till 11 p.m. All ages are welcome, and tickets are only $10. Now, you can get full access to all of us for just $10. Every ticket is a VIP ticket.
2: And EVP Mediums will be performing a spirit box session.
1: Get your tickets from hillbillyhorrorstories.com or graveyardpodcast.com. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 114 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry.
2: And I'm Tracy. How you guys doing?
1: I love how you just, it's like you're expecting a response from them.
2: I bet everybody out there says, I'm doing good, Tracy. How are
1: you? I you. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. So, this story tonight, we've had some people say, hey, it's been a long time since you've done a really scary story. Really? And I think this one's a really scary story. As far as like... yeah. All the intricate details of it. It's got a little bit of everything. And we'll get back on track after doing a little more of a true crime type episode last week. Yeah. And we got some special treats this week. We've got one uh, young lady who wishes to remain anonymous. And she had listened to the Robert the Doll episode, the the old one with Ricky and I. Uh And apparently I had butchered something about saying something about Santeria and voodoo being... Close to the same thing or something. Mm Because I I, I don't remember exactly what I said back then. And she just wanted to point out that Santa Rhea was completely different. And uh, we talked a little bit uh, back and forth on Facebook. And I said, hey, why don't you come on and explain to the listeners Mm -hmm. exactly what Santa Rhea is. Because she had written a review on iTunes, which is one of the reviews we'll get into later. And in the review, she actually put that she sacrifices animals and stuff like that in the religion but there was other parts of it that it was misunderstood so i thought i thought thought this would be a good learning experience for everybody so she's going to come on in a little bit and tell us about that andrea whitney from the uh, jasper news boy is going to come on mm-hmm. and andrea's been on several times yes. she's, a, she's a fan favorite but she's got a personal story this time usually she tells us some stories about you know, something she's just researched yeah. over the years. and But this is a personal story that is fascinating.
2: It's very fascinating.
1: So she's going to be on the show a little bit later. But of course, we're going to start off with thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for what you do.
2: God bless each and every one of you guys.
1: And also... Um, If you're going through a rough time, and Andrea touches on this, and and her story that you'll hear, that's one of the reasons she felt the need to share it is uh, she mentions the fact that she thinks we've built a very strong support group Mm -hmm. um, with the, the group and the family of Hillbilly Horror Stories. And she had some extremely rough times that tie into her story, and she felt the need to share that and thinking it might help somebody and i just love the the fact that mm-hmm. people want to help everybody else It's
2: amazing it's a great great thing let's keep it up guys
1: so just remember if you're going through something in life tough think it might be a little more than you can handle grab somebody somebody is out there who is willing to listen it could be myself it could be tracy it could be somebody in our group uh, or it could be people at the suicide hotline one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. 273 8255 if you're more of a texter you can text them at 741-741 but please know that your life is definitely worth living and there are way more people around that want to see you keep living than you would ever imagine you're not a burden on people like sometimes people feel like
2: they yeah, are yeah i agree we love you guys
1: all right uh a little later in the show, I'm going to tell you about a television show that starts tonight. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this tonight, it starts probably about the time you're hearing this. But Chip is going to be on. And Chip's going to come on our show, but he's been a little ill. And um, apparently he's got a cough and everything. Yeah. So, but he's coming on the show, but he wanted us to mention this show that he's going to be on. So we'll tell you a little bit about that later. Are you ready to get into tonight's story?
2: Yes, sir. I'm ready.
1: All right. So tonight's story... Is well. I'm just going to get into it. I'm not even going to preface it. So, there you go. in the village of Wotton Under Edge, in in Gloucestershire, England, there's a cottage that's built on an ancient peri- uh, pagan burial ground. The lands also believed to be the site of devil worship and child sacrifices.
2: No way.
1: The cottage is known as the Ancient Ram Inn. It's one of the most haunted buildings in all of England. So that's the story we're going to kick Halloween off with. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, with us, Halloween's the entire month.
2: Oh my gosh, it surely is.
1: So let's get into a little bit of history. The inn was built in 1145. Think about that.
2: that I can't. I can't even <laughs> fathom it.
1: 1145. Priests used to use the, uh, the house to, uh, I guess, keep slaves and uh, workers in when they were constructing St. Mary Church, mm-hmm. which apparently is right there in the area. Now, John Humphreys bought the place back in 1968, and we're going to hear a lot about John tonight. It's been a pub, it's been an inn, it's been a bed and breakfast, all kinds of things over the years. As you can imagine, almost a thousand years, it's going to be a lot of different things besides just a house. It's been privately owned since 1930, so it's been basically, I guess in the family or whatever the deal would be for whoever had it for all those years all the way up to 1930 Mm -hmm. and then like i said john humphreys bought it in 1968 it's no longer um anything more than a house though they they quit doing the bed and breakfast thing and we'll talk about that a little bit later they do give some tours on occasion though Mm -hmm. so if you're in that area and uh, claire humphreys who's getting married congratulations claire
2: congratulations honey
1: she lives like 20 miles from there, oh, she just said. So she said, but she she's, never there, so. she's never been there. She's
2: never been there.
1: It's a good place to spend a honeymoon, I that's would think. What I, hey, so. That's how
2: we roll. You know how we do our anniversaries <laughs> in these creepy-ass places.
1: <laughs> There's countless tales of ghostly sightings at, yeah. uh, at the Ancient Ram Inn, and that's why I thought it would be a good story to start with. Even worse, though, are the encounters with uh, entities that are forceful, like they involve physical assault and demonic rape. And we're gonna touch on all these things in a little more detail. Paranormal investigators have described a history of murder on the premises. And these stories include the burning of a residential witch, a former innkeeper's daughter who was found hanging in the attic, all kinds of good stuff. So former Gloucester Bishop Reverend John Yates even said that the Ram Inn was the most evil place that he's ever had the misfortune to visit
2: oh man
1: and he said that following a failed exorcism
2: (laughs) Oh, i'm just amazed that this place is still standing i know i mean that is incredible
1: the inn has an unprecedented reputation with paranormal investigators and it supposedly houses over 20 spirits
2: nice so if you tore the place down or got rid of the whole place or whatever the spirits will still hang there, do you think?
1: I mean, I don't know that they would or not.
2: Yeah. So why don't you tear that biatch down?
1: Well, but apparently this is somebody's home. As we get more into it, you'll get a little more details as that that will maybe answer your question. Okay. It lies on the crossing point of two ley lines, and we've talked about ley lines before.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: One of these goes straight to Stonehenge, which everybody oh, talks about oh, as yeah. far as, you know, uh, the ley line situation and druids and, and all that stuff. So locals will cross over the street at nighttime rather than walking in front of it. So that's <laughs> <laughs> so people are kind of a little bit afraid of. I would the field say in. so. I'm surprised there's only twenty uh, spirits. I guess that are in the place because if it's been there for a thousand years, it's seen its share of residents yeah. come and go um, over the, over that period of time. It's a lot of people to come and go. You would think that there'd probably be a little more there. I don't know how they keep track of these things anyway.
2: Or maybe those 20 spirits are just like, that's all we need. Get on, Everybody can go on yeah, about the Yeah, they could fight. all be
1: dominant. Male yeah, spirits. yeah. Orbs have been photographed all around the stairs and the attic. There's been uh, a bunch of different types of lights and apparitions that have terrified visitors. A plumber once said that he saw a Roman centurion on horseback emerge from a wall.
2: Now that would be cool. <laughs>
1: The bishop's room is where most of the aggressive spirits tend to hang out. They've been seen, they've been heard, and they've been felt. Some of the most alarming stories have focused on John Humphreys, the owner of the inn since 1968. So there are stories of him being dragged from his bed by a violent entity, of him being raped countless number of times by a succubus.
2: Oh, that is, that sounds so painful. It does sound painful. Oh, and that's a stupid word, succubus.
1: <laughs> so John Humphrey's daughter, Carolyn, she's had several memories from her childhood growing up there in the end. Carolyn said that she was a child when and she was so afraid of the house that she would sleep outside in a caravan, which is like a camper. Okay. That's what, that's what I, they call a camper.
2: This is stupid. So if you're getting raped.
1: <laughs> Are we back on that?
2: Well, how do you feel anything? It's a ghost.
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure it can make you feel stuff. I mean, a ghost can press down on the bed beside you and make a print on the bed.
2: Mm-hmm. So Okay, I just was you know, curious.
1: If they can press down and make a handprint in the bed, I'm sure it could give you a handy or something.
2: Yeah. Okay, continue on.
1: So, uh, Carolyn, like I said, she said that she was so afraid how she would sleep out in a camper outside the house. She said it was normal oh. for them to see people running out of the house screaming in terror. <laughs> oh,
3: jeez.
1: <laughs> Once she Ugh. woke up when she was sleeping in the house she woke up and she found a chest of drawers or a chest of drawers as my buddies would call it hovering over top of her bed. She said then it crashed down the staircase. So this thing was hovering over her bed and then it went out and then dropped it down the steps. Wow. How about that? How
2: about that? But that was noisy.
1: (laughs) She said that her and her father have been told that by other people that they've seen a a high priestess sitting in one of the bedrooms. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Objects would just move and spin around in the house. But most disturbing of all, they would hear the ghost of murdered children screaming and crying in one of the bedrooms.
2: Oh, man. I couldn't handle that.
1: So they put some children's toys in that room and just kind of figured that maybe that would take care of the problem. Mm -hmm. And they said it did kind of Mm
2: -hmm.
1: uh, tone it down a little bit. Now, she said that the whole house is absolutely terrifying. And uh, we talked uh, about the event that her father, John Humphrey, had, had experienced. The incident where he was violently pulled off the uh, the bed. Mm-hmm. Now, this happened the very first night they spent in the house back the, in 1968. Wow, he
2: didn't waste no time.
1: No. So Carolyn said her father didn't believe in ghosts before he moved in the house. But evidently, he got to the point where he, he couldn't go anywhere without having his Bible with him. mm and I mean anywhere, because he talks later about everywhere he went in the house, yeah. he had his Bible in a hand. So the Ram was a, was a bed and breakfast for a while, but then they said that they had to quit, according to Carolyn, because she said it was just too haunted. Some patrons even jumped from windows screaming to get away from the place. Jeez. <laughs> I don't know if there's was second floor windows or first floor windows. I mean, but.
2: I don't either. I think I would have just running down the stairs.
1: But Carolyn eventually moved out and... Um, she decided to just let her father stay there. She moved up the road a little bit. She had a partner with her. We'll talk about him later. His name was Mick. Mm-hmm. But they moved up the road. She said she just couldn't stand it. But then when she moved out, her his, her father was staying there by himself.
2: See, that's what I was sitting here thinking. I'd be so scared for him to be there by himself.
1: Apparently, John is a bit of a character, and some John at this time, and we'll get into a lot more of him. But John was an old man. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in his eighties during most of this time that we're talking about this story. Oh,
2: I can not leave my daddy there <laughs> if he was like 80. Yeah.
1: So some think John is just like an old man that was an unfortunate victim to the building's curse, and some people think he's a con artist.
2: Oh, see, I'm feeling sorry for him.
1: Well, I don't think he's a con artist, so I think we'll find out. Oh, okay. And, and let, me, let me get into that. The reason some people think he's a con artist is is they say there were no stories of hauntings in this place before mm-hmm. he moved in. Oh. And then all of a sudden he's doing it, and then they're thinking, well, I and mean, then he's making money off of it. Maybe it was all started just to get people in there, but I don't think that's really the case because as time went on and it quit being a bed and breakfast, then he started doing um, tours where it was just like whatever you want to give, mm-hmm. come on in and do a tour. Yeah. And then like I know one guy was talking about he did a tour, and there were a big group of much younger younger kids, teenagers mm-hmm. and stuff, mm-hmm. and then he was a little bit older. And he said they went through, and at the end, you know, he wanted to see in his mind was this guy con artist. Because this guy was actually like he was a, a reporter, but John didn't know it.
2: Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm.
1: So it, he says like at the end of the tour, and this was like, well, I guess like an hour and a half tour, something yeah. like that, that the kids were all giving him like a handful of change. And he said John thanked them and sent them on their way. And he said then he gave him like 20 pounds, mm-hmm. which I think is like $25 or mm-hmm. something here. But he gave him like 20 pounds, and he said John tried to give it back to him. So if John's trying to give him his money back, mm-hmm. then he can't be too much of a And No, not at all. And then he said that, the, uh, he, said that the, he said he almost cried. That John almost cried when the guy gave him that money. And he said that nobody's ever given me this much before. Oh. So I, I really don't yeah, think Yeah,
2: that kind of makes it hard to believe Conner's. that he would do that.
1: Now, when you listen to the stories that revolve around John, he may be a little bit of a, an exaggerator. Mm-hmm. But I think he truly believes most of what's going on. And apparently, he was starting to have some memory problems. This goes into that whole con artist thing. And I yeah. know this, this really wasn't even what I was going to talk about, but now I'm into it. And there's a lot of reviews on, like, TripAdvisor and stuff like that. People saying that they went and they just felt like that everything was too dramatic. And they had trouble believing what he was telling and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's why some people think that he was just a con artist. Like, he no. was just used to try to...
2: Right. Make money, Make money off money. of yeah. it.
1: None of it was real. And then there apparently was another group on, uh, I think it was TripAdvisor, who said that they came to do, I guess they paid him a decent amount of money to do like an investigation. Mm-hmm. And they left to go get some food. And when they came back, apparently, uh, according to them, he said he didn't remember who they were. And then he kept their money anyway, but didn't let them- you know, yeah. back in. Yeah, you know,
2: something's not adding up.
1: Right, though. but he's in his 80s. Yeah. And so, like, this guy said that as he was telling him stories, he would kind of repeat himself, or he would ask mm-hmm. questions, and he would ask the same question later. Yeah, well, he, he might said, have been getting dementia well, or that's, something. Well, that's what he was saying. He says he don't think the guy was a con artist, yeah. but he does think there was definitely some memory loss problem, Oh, so.
2: bless his heart. But, you know, that, that place is so dang old. I mean, you'd have to think there's something. Oh, yeah. Something in there somewhere. Yeah.
1: So anyway, so let's get back to John. John would tell people about the uh, former tack room, which is his bedroom now. It's like a makeshift bedroom. Apparently, also, John Humphreys was a hoarder.
2: Oh, gosh. Like...
1: Everywhere in this place was stacked up books, yeah. magazines. Mm-hmm. Every every little single space had some kind of relic or something there. Mm-hmm. That this was all through the house. And then we're going to get into one of the barns that the, the a gentleman said that you couldn't even get into it. It's supposed to be also like living space, but it was so much crap in there you couldn't even That's get into That's actually like
2: it. the episode of Horrors I watched today. This lady bought, an old. it was like a, we call that a historic landmark or whatever. Uh-huh. And it was four stories high. And she had every bit of that to the brim with all kinds of stuff and I mean it sounds just like that she had everything everywhere it was really a gorgeous place and it was from you know from the I mean it's when she moved into it it was beautiful right everything was pristine and now you know it's just not
1: see I just yeah the hoarding thing I'll just never completely understand I mean I guess like I said it's or they say it's a mental thing so yeah right. so anyway we're talking about John. He was back at the, the former tack room. And the tack room was like, uh, it was for the former stable that used to be there years and years and years ago. And it's basically occupying the far end of the the ground floor. This tack room, though, he's using as a bedroom. I think it's a makeshift bedroom. He don't even have a bed. It's like a couch that he sleeps on because there's like no room in there to mm-hmm. put a full bed. Right. So, got the whole house. He decides to sleep Sleeping on a couch. Sleeping a
2: little bitty, yeah. yeah. hmm
1: But he said they located an old well underneath the floorboards there. And it was a deep pit that basically there was bodies of murder victims had been dumped into it. Mm. So there's the first thing you get going on in this house. The area around the well had been uh, an area where they had nightly disturbances from the uh, first day they moved in. This supposedly stopped when John placed a makeshift cross over top of the well.
2: It's all down there with all them snakes, probably. Snakes? In the well. Oh,
1: it's England. They don't have tons of snakes over mm-hmm. there, I don't think. Oh, I could be wrong. I don't know about England's mm-hmm. it's ecosystem. so sad. This is where John talked about he had been raped four times in his own bed by the succubus. He, said that, he says this is why he carries a Bible everywhere he goes in the house. Mm-hmm. It's because of these attacks. Now, years after moving in this home, keep in out, he moved in in 68. Uh, we're going all the way to, I think it was 1997. We're going to talk a little more about the exact details of it. But he allowed a paranormal group from Sweden to come in. And they started tearing up some floorboards. And when they did, they found that there was some small bones and daggers. Oh, man. So it's believed to be child sacrifice to pagan gods that was over 5,000 years ago Mm -hmm. is what they unearthed right there. So once they disturbed one grave, they decided that they weren't going to dig any further, and they just kind of left the house the way that it was. So Carolyn says, of course, this is his daughter, remember, that she doesn't think that they could even sell the house right now because nobody in their right mind would buy it Yeah, because it's the reputation of being so haunted. She said that after uh, living there for nearly 50 years, she just accepts the fact that they just live with a bunch of unwanted guests. Well, <laughs> I guess it is what it is. So let's get into some of the rooms in the house and some of the hauntings. So we briefly talked about uh, a witch being burned at the stake earlier. It's one of the more popular stories that surround the ancient Raman, man. And supposedly what happened is she was burned at the stake in the, in the 1500s and supposedly she was, I guess on the run, she was supposed to be set up for trial. Uh, she didn't show up for trial, and she was just trying to get away. To get away. And she used, was hiding out in one of the rooms of the Ram Inn, and that's where they caught her.
2: I just don't understand why she would hide there in town. Why wouldn't she try to get out of town, That's what I'm trying to say. Because once you're... They can search every room in every building there.
1: Well, I mean... I would think it was probably just hard to get out of town in the 1500s. I mean, it's not like she could hop a bus or a car or a train I mean, I
2: get that. I don't know. I just felt like she got herself cornered in. Well, I mean, it's kind of the same
1: thing, like, if you look at, like, Anne Frank. I mean, with the Jewish, you know, situation with Germany, I mean, they were hiding in an attic somewhere. And, I mean, I guess the same thing could be said. So, I guess when you're limited as to where you could go, you just got to take what you can get. So, anyway the room she supposedly comes back and, and haunts the place now and the room that she was caught in is now known as the witch's room
2: hmm.
1: and we've got some pictures of, of all these playing things Very that cool. we talk about tonight posted so supposedly she'll show up at your bedside like if you spend a the night there mm-hmm. when it was back when it's a bit at breakfast she would spend the wake up uh, at, at your bedside she's just standing there mm-hmm. and anyone who booked that room was booking on their own uh, accord that she could be spending the night with you.
2: Yeah. But she's just looking at you. She don't try to do nothing to you, I guess? Just,
1: apparently not. So many paranormal researchers say that the witch's room is the most supernaturally charged room in the entire place. Then you've got the men's kitchen. I don't know why. A men's kitchen and a women's kitchen. or I don't know. But the men's kitchen, this room, has a ram's head over top of the fireplace. Mm-hmm. The room is over top of the former burial ground that we talked about
2: oh
1: people hear the sounds of a, of a baby crying in that room
2: yeah i'm sure there's lots of stuff going on there
1: there's also a woman that haunts that room that uh, reportedly was killed by highwaymen back in the 1500s as well so electronics continuously fell in this room camera batteries drain exceptionally fast in the back corner of this room is the unearthed grave that we were talking about a little bit earlier it's got a handmade sign over top of it a cross and a shovel. So over the grave is a stuffed crow that hangs from a wooden beam from the ceiling. And John had John had given the, uh, I told you we get the details, some Swedish ghost hunters permission to dig this out back in 1997. What they were doing is they were just tearing up the concrete. They were looking for what was supposed to be a sealed off cellar. Mm-hmm. And instead, they found this grave. It contained the body of a woman and a child buried along the bodies with some iron shards. Now, the pieces were analyzed by the Bristol Museum, and they conceded that there were signs that point to a ritualistic sacrifice using an iron dagger.
2: Oh, gosh.
1: So that's where this whole yeah, thinking it was used. And and they only dug that little bit to get the one mm-hmm. grave, so there's no telling how oh much else gosh. could have been under there. That's
2: horrifying and very painful, I would say.
1: By the way, the ghost hunters that were did there, the mm-hmm. Swedish group, They were in a uh, really bad car crash on the way home.
2: No way. Is that a
1: coincidence? Who knows?
2: Oh, my gosh. Were they okay?
1: As far as I know, they are. Oh, my. But still, just the fact that they were in a car wreck on the way home. Yeah. John didn't think that this was a coincidence, but he also wasn't surprised that they found a grave underneath there. Because this is the room that John was sleeping in the first night he was there when he was violently yanked from his bed. And when I say violently, he says that it was like something grabbed his ankle and just yanked him clean off the bed. Just completely, not a little bit like straight off the bed, smack on the floor.
2: I hope he didn't have a footboard. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be an extra bump in the road.
1: Hmm. He said he had been sleeping directly over top of the grave at that time.
2: (gasps) Oh my gosh, no way.
1: So ever since... That ha- that issue happened with him, he knew that there was something that mm-hmm. had to be beneath that spot. So some believe that there's a secret tunnel also that that uh, in this uh, men's kitchen that leads from the fireplace that connects the crypts from the nearby church. And I don't know if the nearby church is Saint Mary's, but that was since this was the house where they were keeping the slaves and whatever for Saint Mary's. I'm guessing that's probably. I mean, the that church.
2: would make sense.
1: So John believed the story, but he didn't want to investigate any further because he didn't want to wake up any spirits that might be kind of dormant. But he did think that there was mm, something he had to deal those. with. Yeah. So then you got the Mayflower barn. That's the place I was telling you about that had so much stuff in it that it's supposed to be listed as living space, but you couldn't even get into it. There was so much stuff. So there's an 18 year old ghost hunter that claims that he was thrown to the ground here by an unseen force in this room. John said he had seen several different lights, just strange kind of lights that were there.
2: Are you talking in the barn?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. He said he'd seen a bunch of lights that were out in the barn, but he also said that one time that he was pinned to the wall while he sat there and watched curtains be torn apart. Whoa. There was a father and son team that came there that fled because they said they saw a ghost rise up from the floor at the barn.
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine?
1: I've seen like people at concerts do that. I've seen Angus Young do that, well, and he had devil horns on. So that's kind that's of the same almost thing. Almost
2: the same thing, yeah.
1: Then another thing that's been seen out there is a large seven-foot shadow that's seen rushing in and out of the barn door. So that's what you got in the barn. Just so like every place of this, yeah, there's every part of this no, place no has good, stories.
2: No safe spot.
1: So now we're going to talk about the stairway and there's a really cool picture that we're going to uh, I've already posted so you'll be the you guys will be able to see this when you when you see it you'll know this is exactly what I'm talking about because I only got one of the stairway Many people have been pushed down these stairs from unseen hands Mike Driscoll, who's with the uk Paranormal, says it's happened to him three separate times and then the picture we were just talking about was by Julie Hunt her and her uh, husband Mike uh, I don't know if that's her husband's thing. So you stop.
2: You're so dumb. But
1: (laughs) when you see this picture that she took, this picture, like I said, it's it's world famous Mm -hmm. in in the paranormal uh, surroundings because you can see this white mist, and it doesn't look like a problem with the camera or anything. It's a true white mist that's kind of like going up and down the stairway. So it's really cool. At the top of the stairs is a landing that some people call the clock room. Why? Because there is a haunted grandfather clock.
2: And nothing sacred.
1: <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> it's supposedly cursed, and the story is that there's a human face that will sometimes appear in the clock face. Instead of the regular face, you got a human face. Ooh. I would think, though, if it's glass and you're looking at it... You, you probably know, think... could probably see in your reflection. Well, yeah. But I could be wrong. Now we're going to talk about the Bishop's Room. Now this is the granddaddy of the haunted rooms. This is for all the terrible uh, demons of the house supposedly are in this one particular room so there's several stories surrounding this room now during the time that the rams inn was uh, functioning as a bed and breakfast many guests would refuse to stay in this room others checked in unaware of its reputation only to run out screaming in the middle of the night so there's reports of furniture flying around the room on its own one time, a medium was thrown down the corridor while just trying to open the door. And then they've had also been sightings of spirit, uh, spectral monks in there.
2: Oh, my Lord.
1: This is also the room where the plumber saw the uh, the Roman on horseback that we were talking mm-hmm.
2: about. Yeah, I choose never to go there.
1: That's odd to see a Roman on horseback. But this thing goes back a like thousand about, years. Oh, gosh, so. yeah. There's a cavalier that's been seen by the dressing table that slowly cascades across the room. Many people have seen a young woman hanging from the ceiling in there, hanging from a beam in the ceiling. And also reports of a shepherd with his dog.
2: Oh, a shepherd. Like a shepherd that herds sheep? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Or goats. Or goats, yeah.
1: Okay. Let's not just be prejudiced towards you. (laughs) Then there's also the story of a man who was killed when he was thrust into the fireplace.
2: Oh my gosh! No,
1: it wasn't his whole body; it was just his head.
2: Oh well, Does that make hello. It any no, no, that makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so supposedly, you can hear him scream while you're in there. So those who spent the night there, they would sometimes tell stories about a presence crawling into bed with them. That entity would then pin them down, and you know,
2: have their way with them.
1: Yes. This sounds like John's succubus. So whenever John enters that room, he makes the sign of the cross and asks if there's anybody in there. Sometimes he doesn't get an answer, and sometimes the answer is several knocks, bangs, or tremors.
2: So wait, you're saying John is the one that's doing that?
1: No, I'm saying that when John enters that room, oh. that he's just he just takes precautions.
2: Oh, okay, sorry.
1: And, you know, there's been people in this house that claim that the house, they'll, they'll be like in a room and it'll shake so bad it's almost like an earthquake.
2: And this withstands all these years. It's still mind-boggling. Mm-hmm.
1: So John claims that in this same room that people will come in there sometimes with very tame dogs, and th- these dogs will suddenly attack their owner while they're in that room.
2: Oh, Ninja, you wouldn't dare.
1: He would dare. You know how he is if you try to move him with your foot.
2: I know, he does.
1: Look, Ninja, for whatever reason, is the most docile dog. He do not try to bite anybody. He doesn't try to do anything. And he definitely never tried to bite us. But for some reason, like if you was to take your foot, especially if you've got your shoe on, I think it's more a shoe thing. But if you take your foot with your shoe and you was to just kind of move him yes. with your foot, he's ready to just tear it off.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, but anyway. we
2: sent it to Kristen a couple times.
1: He's done it to me a couple of times. Mm -hmm. So there's a uh, round block, and I got a picture of this, too, on here. There's a round block with a wedge cut out of it and a small iron horseshoe that had been removed from the chimney in that room. Apparently, they had been sealed inside the the brick there for like 200 years, and John and them had it removed. And these items are said to be used in rituals of devil worship. And the small horseshoe that we talked about, it was crafted to fit uh, a goat's cloven foot. Mm. How about that? I, when I said foot, I could say i have a hoof.
2: Well, this place is crazy as crap. <laughs> That's all I know.
1: So then we got the Weaver's Attic. Any idea why they call it the Weaver's Attic? Mm-mm. Because Bobbing and weaving? <laughs> that, it's a bedroom now, but it used to be a room that the Weavers worked in. Mm, that wasn't their sense. last name. They were Right, Weaver. they
2: just actually weaved.
1: Yeah, like those little bugs, bow weavers.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're silly.
1: <laughs> so anyway... This room is where John's daughter was staying with her partner, Mick, Mm -hmm. when they were living there. And uh, they used to hear, like, really heavy items of being drug across the floor. And then visitors have heard the exact same thing, especially when they stay in the bishop's room, which is directly underneath the weaver's attic. This room is reportedly haunted by an innkeeper's daughter who was murdered or hung herself either way, but she was found hanging This also goes back to the 1500s. Supposedly her name is Elizabeth, and they found that out through a medium that gave that name. Ghost hunters, Carolyn Lee from Haunted Happenings, says she's witnessed several different things in this house Mm -hmm. in general, but mainly in this room. She said she's seen white mist appear, and she's heard strange whistling sounds at the same time along with heavy footsteps when there's nobody upstairs. One man screamed when he was in the attic because he said it felt like something passed through him. and He's not the only person we'll find that have had that same claim. He also saw an ashtray fly across the Bishop's room and then there was Dan Broadfoot, another paranormal investigator. He's former military over there and he said that one time he was pushing it back with such force that it pushed him completely forward. He's six feet tall and a former so- soldier, so and a skeptic until this happened. <laughs> he's no longer a skeptic. So one of the ancient uh, Raman's guests said that he also felt something pass through him, much like the other person. But he said he honestly can't explain what happened. It was just a feeling he's never had before. And a few minutes later, after that happened. The entire group started seeing a, uh, a dark figure in the corner. And then they said a few minutes later, the shadow just disappeared. And they heard a strange, uh, strange tapping up in the attic start.
2: So they all saw it? Yeah. Oh.
1: So one night during a Ouija board session, a glass moved on its own.
2: Okay, why are they doing that?
1: Well, why wouldn't you?
2: Oh, come on.
1: <laughs> so they said this glass moved on its own. And it wasn't really clear what... The message was that it was trying to uh, uh, portray, but one of the men felt something, and he lifted up his shirt, and he had three scratch marks that went from his abdomen all the way up to his shoulder.
2: What? That is long. It is long. Whoa.
1: So let's get back to John and Carolyn. Carolyn said that um, there was an old pack of tarot cards that spilled out onto the floor, and it looked like that there had been... It, like it had been stabbed, or like right in the middle. So I guess there was a hole right down the middle mm-hmm. of all the cards. Now that's when her and her partner Mick decided that they were going to move down the road and mm-hmm. out of the house. I like how that's. I was going to say off. if why that make after, a after years you've lived there for fifty years practically. <laughs> so as far as John. Why did he stay there? Because everybody's got to be asking, look, you're an old man. All this stuff is happening for years. You're scared to go anywhere without a Bible. You claim you've been been raped by this ghost on several occasions. Why stay? Well, John said that this was his home. And he was not going to let anything scare him away from his home.
2: He's very brave.
1: Unfortunately, not everyone has that kind of willpower. In January 2016, John's health started really to decline. Keep in mind, most of the story, you know, that we've talked about, he was in his mid to late 80s. And at the time, this time, he was 88 years old. And it was becoming a little too much for Carolyn to be able to take care of him on his Mm own. So she asked for some medical help, uh, and England sent some council workers to the home. Of course, they've got the government health care and stuff there. So they sent council uh, workers to the home. Council workers fled, though, after feeling a a sinister force, grabbed them, and they said that the air was filled with blood-curdling yells. John was the only one there, keep in mind. Aww. The eerie events at John's house basically means that caregivers hired to help him were refusing to visit alone. So council chiefs provided extra funding for extra workers so they could go in pairs.
2: I mean... To, I, going to Paris ain't going to mean nothing, is
1: it? I mean, people always feel better when they're somebody else with them. They're less scared. Suddenly, so anyway, he was provided health care uh, visits three times a day. Carolyn said that the caregiver said that they heard things moving around and that their clothes were constantly being tugged. They also felt sudden cold spots in the house. Carolyn put up security cameras to kind of keep an eye on her dad, but then she said that she felt like that that angered the spirits by kind of messing with their environment. (laughs) Unfortunately, John Humphreys died in December of 2017. Hmm. So a little less, almost a year ago. Yeah. So that's the story.
2: So I bet he's still there.
1: He probably is. He's probably there
2: bitching them spirits out, dude.
1: He probably is. My turn.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, bravo to him for staying so long. That's, you know, that takes a lot of balls. So
1: once again, though, you get into the situation with with it was the place really that haunted? Or did John fabricate most of that stuff to make a business out of it? I
2: mean, I don't see how that's possible with all these people that's... Unless he paid them to do that, I mean, well, the I don't assembly. think that would
1: be the case. But you know how some people are, and I mean, we're no different. I'm just saying, when you get something planted in your head, mm-hmm. then you start looking for stuff. You know, if it's like when you, you know, when you bought your car, mm-hmm. you know, you don't see any white Hyundai's around all the time. You don't pay any attention to them. But then, as soon as you've got one, now you see them all over the road. Right. So I think the same thing happens. If if I tell you. If I spent all day long saying, this place is haunted, this place is haunted, this place, and then I left and you were in here by yourself at nighttime, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be more likely to hear something. No, I get then and, and that may be the situation here. Yeah. All these people that are coming there because it's haunted, they're going to expect to see things and maybe they hear a regular creek. I mean, the place is a thousand years old. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to have some creeks and stuff in it. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm not saying it's not haunted. I'm just saying I'm playing devil's advocate.
2: Yeah, I think it is haunted. They're just It's just been there too many years for not something to be going well, I would
1: on. Well, I would think so. But it's just amazing that, like I said, that in 1968, when he bought this place, then all the haunting stuff came out. Why was there never anything about it being haunted before that? Mm-hmm. So that's what makes people skeptical. Yeah. But like we turned out, you know, they quit being a bed and breakfast. Then was that because of all the hoarding where there really wouldn't have right. much room? Or was that really because he couldn't keep up with it? Or was it truly because it really wasn't about the money? I mean, he obviously didn't live like a rich man by any means. Yeah. So.
2: I still, I mean, I just said I would never want to go there, but I think I would like to go there just to, to you know, which I know will, that will never happen, but it would still be cool to see just, just the building that that's that old, just to see a building that old would be amazing, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing about England. It's such an old place mm-hmm. that there's all kinds of buildings like that. I don't even think that's the... It's not even like the... That's not even the oldest building in England. That's crazy.
2: <laughs> Man, if they built things today like they did back then, we'd be in good shape probably.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I mentioned earlier that uh, Chip Coffee was going to be a guest on a show, and that show starts tonight. I think it's 10 p.m. on a Discovery Channel, mm-hmm. so... That's pretty cool because most of those things are on Destination American stuff. Yeah. But it's called Josh Gates or Expedition Unknown. It's a four-part special. And it really looks to be kind of cool because when I'm looking at it, like it says, In, in Russia, Josh works with transhumanists attempting to harness technology to, to live forever. World-famous psychic Chip Coffee delivers an impossible message from the great beyond. And in a village in the mountains of Indonesia, Josh meets villagers who live with the dead using age-old rituals to keep their spirits alive
2: oh sounds interesting
1: i didn't uh, say what we got here Uh, uh, aboard the infamously haunted ship the queen mary which we've done a story on josh jordan's world famous paranormal investigators grant wilson amy Bruni, and adam berry for a shocking ghost search uh so there's all kinds of cool stuff on here man so yeah 10 o'clock tonight which is sunday and i guess this is going to be on maybe four straight Sundays. something i'm not sure good but Kind of anxious to see it mm-hmm. if we ever get there recording a show. <laughs> so, with that being said, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and listen to our anonymous guest who tells us about Santeria. And I think you're going to find this fascinating for real because I learned a lot, and mm-hmm. I like to learn. And I don't prejudge anybody's religion as their religion, and um, I think everybody has a right to believe how they want to believe. And I think she sheds a little light on some of the, I guess we we all have our thoughts on what we think something is perception is reality type deal mm-hmm. and then but sometimes our perceptions completely off and i think she kind of well, good. spun me around a little bit on this so
2: awesome
1: let's listen to anonymous all right guys i have a little bit of a treat for you tonight because we did the last show on you know a little bit of occult stuff and we've done some shows in the past that dealt with uh, voodoo and santeria And one of those shows way back in the early days with me and Ricky, apparently I butchered something on the um, uh, differences, or as I put it, the sameness of Voodoo and Santeria. And I had a listener reach out and say that she loved the show, but I was completely wrong. And uh, she's a practitioner of Santeria. And I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to bring her on and actually tell us a little bit about the religion so we could all learn about Santeria. And uh, you're going to go by anonymous tonight. So this is anonymous from California. Thanks for coming on the show.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: I have no problem at all saying hey there's a lot of stuff I, I, that I don't know and I love to learn about anything new. I love the fact that you reached out to us and it gives us an, an opportunity to learn a little bit about Santeria. So why don't you tell us as a practitioner or a practitioner I should say what exactly the religion is as far as what people think it is, we we all know that some people just listed a lot of it as, oh, it's some kind of evil thing, but that's not the case at all. And tell us a little bit about it, what the religion actually is.
3: Um, I let's start by this way. A lot of people will come up to me and tell me that Santeria is devil worshiping. That's completely and utterly wrong. Santeria is the worship of fate. Um, hence, Santeria means saints in Spanish. Now, to give you guys a background, Santeria was brought over by the slaves from the West African nations, in particular, the Yoruba land, which is Nigeria, Beni, Togo, all those countries make up the Yoruba land. So when the slaves came over, um, were brought over, they had to kind of hide their belief and they covered it with christianity catholicism to be exact so if you're a catholic you know saint barbara would to us is um pay it's chango um you know there's a uh, different saints are the equivalent in our religion so there's nothing evil nothing dark nothing you know vicious about it it's just another form for the slaves to continue practicing their beliefs without getting punished by their masters for not conforming to their beliefs that makes sense
1: it does and, and and i think that's where some of the confusion comes with the mixture of santeria and voodoo because very similarly was done like you, it's, it's from the same area like you said mm-hmm. from over in Africa and in especially like in New Orleans and in that area you know they had to take on the uh, uh kind of the Catholic religion was forced upon them so they just kind of found a way to mix the two together so they could practice in, in peace and I think that's why a lot of people associate the two together
3: correct so, totally correct
1: Okay, so Santeria, as far as you were, were, was this something that Mm -hmm. you converted to? Was you born into this religion? How did you become a practitioner?
3: Um, It's basically lineage. Um, My my father's side of the family is Cuban, so that's a primary religion in Cuba. About 99% of the population practices Santeria. So once you're born, um, you will go, you know, your parents will take you in to see a high priestess, priest known as Santeros, Santera um, in Spanish. And they will ask their guardians if you are meant to be there. If not, you don't have to. Um, But everybody in my family had to be in the religion because it was stated by the guardians. And basically, it's handed down. It keeps going and going and going. I have family members and nieces that are young that are practitioners too. Um, and there's nothing bad about it. Um, once you become a practitioner, it's basically a baptism into the religion. You got to go through a process. You get you get familiar with your deities, which are the saints. Um, And you just learn, you're you're learning every day constantly, and that's what we went through. So, every day is a learning experience.
1: So, talk to me a little more about uh, deities. Does everybody have their own deities? Is it the same deities for everyone? Give me a little bit of an idea.
3: Okay. So, um, my guardian deity is um, Yamaya, which is mother of the sea, and... Basically, she's mother of all the Orishas, of all the states. She's um, strong, protective. She cares for children. She comforts the children. So that's who she is. And then you move over to um, Obatala. And he is creator of man. And then you move over to Elegua. Um, he is the keeper of the crossroads. He is the one that if you need a prayer taken to a certain orisha, a certain saint, you go to him first. And if he wants to take the message, he'll open the crossroad for you. If not, he won't let you get through the road. He block. Um, you got the God of Thunder or the Saint of Thunder, Lightning Dancer. Justice would be Chango, Saint Barbara then you have ochun very uh sexual very uh fertile fresh water rivers and lakes so those are the deities those are the saints those are the you know the main ones there's hundreds and hundreds of them but those are the main ones that people in the religion um go to the most when you are initiated into the religion there is like a 80 to 85 percent chance that you'll end up with one of those because you only have one that can be your guardian or that is crowned on your head is part of the initiation you get crowned well, it sounds like, like a lot but it
1: does that's really. what i'm saying that sounds like a lot
3: <laughs> <laughs> i know i know it sounds like a lot but um every saint um, has a specific role Let's say um, I don't know, have you remember, remember that episode With Lu, um, I Love Lucy Where Ricky Ricardo seeing Baba Luaye? Yes Okay, Baba Luwaiye Is actually a saint And he's a saint and protector Of the sick So if you have some type of illness You would pray To Baba Luaye To help you and protect you same thing if you are um, if you want to get pregnant and you're struggling, you would pray to Yemaya to help you get pregnant. And if you want justice and uh justice for uh something that somebody did to you, then you would pray to Chango to help you uh get justice for the for the wrongdoing. So let me so Go
1: ahead. I was gonna say, so let me ask you this: like when you said pray for justice, uh-huh. it, are there rules and regulations for that? And what I mean by that is, I mean obviously if somebody does something horrible to you, uh, mm-hmm. a, a crime, per se, I could see praying for justice for that not being anything. But would there be somebody who prayed for justice for somebody who just like broke their heart that didn't really mean to? Would that would that be like something you shouldn't do? Um, you see what i'm saying yeah
3: yeah you always want to use it you want to pray to the saints for things that have great meaning somebody's sick um you want help you know getting and you went to an interview and you just want that extra boost of confidence or or something like that but if it's to benefit you in a sense like for To be greedy, um, it's all about you. That's going to backfire. Okay. If that makes any sense. It does.
1: That's kind of what I was wondering.
3: Yeah, because if if I'm going to, you know, light a candle, because we offer candles, light a candle and tell them, oh, yeah, give me, you know, the winning lotto tickets. Yeah, I'm going to wake up next morning. Probably, you know, like, yeah, no, I didn't get the numbers. I didn't get anything. Because I'd probably get punished, you know. It just depends on how they perceive what you're asking. If they think you don't deserve it, they're not going to give it to you. It's right, so like parents, you know, like your your mom saying, "Hey, you don't deserve it. You're not going to get what you want till you deserve it." Prove to it. Kind of makes sense
1: in a way. All right. So let's let's move on to this. You, we talked a little bit off air before we came on here, mm-hmm. and you were telling me that there is Santeria and then there's a darker side that's similar. What was that religion you were telling me about?
3: Okay, that's called palomayombe, or it can also it also goes by Palomonte, which is from the uh, the Republic of the Congo. And that one um, is a little bit darker, um, for the fact is that you really don't need to ask permission to do what you need to do. Um, If you go to uh, a priestess in the, in that particular branch of the religion, and you want let's say, payback because your ex cheated on you. The priestess will tell you, okay, well bring me um, his name, bring me a nail and a cow tongue and some thread. And then you will go to a tree, whatever tree they tell you to go, you're going to wrap you're gonna put the name in the cow tongue, you're gonna to sew it and nail it to the tree. And whatever you ask will happen at some point in your ex's life. Yeah, so when I say that's a little bit darker, it's a little bit darker. Versus versus Santeria, where you ask permission and if they say no, you do not proceed.
1: Okay, so let me ask you this then, and we'll we'll end on this, because I think this is intriguing, and I think this is what maybe leads to a lot of people's opinions. I know you started off by Mm -hmm. saying a lot of people say, hey, it's Satan worshiping or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people think that because Santeria, at least at some points, does involve uh, some animal sacrifices. Correct. So what is the situation with that and what What makes that necessary in the religion?
3: Okay. So the animal sacrificing, um, a lot of people will tell us, well, you're wasting the animal. We are not wasting the animal. We will sacrifice the animal. We do what we need to do. Then we cook it and eat it. I want to make sure everybody understands that. Is that the animal, there's nothing... Of that animal that goes to waste. Unless it's part of a ritual, a specific ritual that requires us using an animal and we cannot eat it, we will dispose of it properly. That's where people will lump everything together and say, well, you are abusing animals and you're torturing animals. No, we eat the animals we use. If it is a a chicken, if it is a ram, if it is a goat, whatever it is, we make sure to eat it at the end of whatever we are doing.
1: That's awesome. And if, I mean, I, I, so, like I said, I think that's where most of the people, when, when they hear about Santeria and then they hear about animal sacrifice, I think they just automatically make that jump that it's got to be something evil or darker, and that's...
3: No it's not it's not it's in, in the, when it's required an animal to be used, it's usually for a cleansing where if somebody's sick, um, they they will you know use an animal to absorb all that negative energy to absorb that illness and then they will dispose of the animal properly. But if it's a, a an animal for an in, uh, initiation into the religion, it is eaten. And nothing is left to waste. And I want to make sure that the, your listeners can distinguish that. Because that's where, like you said, people say, oh, well, you know, animal sacrificing, you guys are, you know, call PETA. Because we've had PETA come to our function. <laughs> I'm sure. And it's like, why are you here? Because, you know, I don't know if you know, but Florida... Uh, Their case went in Florida, the Lukumi religion, which is Santeria. And it was, we were protected, the right of the religion. You know, practice your religion with no problems. But PETA sees it as cruelty to animals. And we see it as we're eating what we killed. Just like a farmer kills pigs so everybody can have ham and bacon. We're doing the same thing. And we're eating it. We're not just throwing, you know taking the good stuff and then just throw the animal away. That's wrong. And I want to make sure they understand that.
1: That's Peter, though. Peter showed up at our house because we were eating animal crackers. So what do you expect?
3: (laughs) (laughs) He'd be at my house every day then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we were going to end on that. But let me give you one more uh, before we get off here. Is there anything else about the religion that you feel like um, needs to be brought up that we haven't brought up already?
3: I just want people to understand that it is a beautiful welcoming, non-discriminating religion. I mean, it's like every other religion, your belief system. There's nothing in the religion that is cruel, mean, derogatory. We accept everybody with open arms, straight, gay, lesbian, children, adults. We don't see color, age, race, creed. You're purple, you're pink, you're orange. We don't see that. We accept everybody with open arms. We do not judge anybody. So before they start to criticize, look into what they're criticizing because it's a beautiful religion. Once you understand it, you, once you learn about it, you will see how beautiful it is.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on and kind of clearing the air on on. Uh, all the aspects, because it really it really is an eye-opener to me. Like I said, it's something that's one of the uh, religions that we've talked about that I really haven't done a lot of research on. I've looked a lot into voodoo, but very little into mm-hmm. this. So I was glad to hear uh, some insight into the religion from somebody firsthand.
3: No problem. Always here if you need it.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. All
3: right. Bye-bye.
1: Okay, so I'm going to be truthful when... I first talked to her and realized, you know, what she was going to talk about. And then I had this image in my head of somebody who practiced Santeria and it's going to be this, it's going to be that. I don't know what I really expected, but then when we talked to her, she's so pleasant and she's Mm -hmm. laughing and giggling. And I talked to her for probably 15 minutes after the interview, just talking about everything. And in my head, I was like. It's nothing like I thought it was going to be, yeah. and there was no reason for me to think it was going to be a certain way other than my preconceived notions. So. Yes, absolutely, well, she, and that's
2: why we love to have guests on, and they can fill us in and explain to us about things like that, so, so we appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it was, like I said, it was a, it was a real treat, and she was awesome, and... I love talking to her, and yeah. I, I wouldn't have guessed that right off the bat. I was already just ready to be, like, she was going I guess I thought she was going to be some stick in the mud or something. <laughs> and she just was totally wouldn't. Yeah,
2: so. and I love that song. I wish we could have played it beforehand.
1: <laughs> no, we can't play anything. I
2: know. What a bummer.
1: But that would have been wrong because we don't practice Santa Rita, but she does. Yeah. So yeah. she can't even sing that song without being. See,
2: that's you know. just not right.
1: Well, anyway, so thanks for that. Yeah, thank so you, honey. Let's jump into our uh, long list of four or five Patreons and iTunes reviews. It was um, a slower week for the iTunes reviews. I don't know if it was just people didn't like the West Memphis 3 story, or because we got one good one on there, and then we got one <laughs> totally blasting me. About. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but you know, we appreciate each and every one of y'all's reviews, and we we really feel bad that that person feels that way because honestly we only go by what is published or on tv or whatever i'm not sure if this person like knew them personally i mean
1: but you're saying this but nobody knows what the review is
2: well he basically said that all of our information was bullcrap basically and we had no clue what we were talking about and that yeah, they're, they're, we were they're slided guilty. by.
1: They're guilty. Yeah. With, we just let the, uh, we were, what do you say, brainwashed by yes. the documentaries right. and stuff. Right, yeah.
2: And, I mean, I understand that and everything, but just know that we only go by what is put out there. I mean. Yeah, well, we weren't. It, I mean, as far as right. I'm talking about, like, you know, HBO did a documentary on it. You know, there was a whole entire movie about it and things like that. And, you know, Jerry digs as deep as he can to find out stuff like that. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, it was a terrible, terrible thing. And, you know, I mean, I don't even know what to say about it. We don't know everything, that's for sure.
1: Well, in fairness, you know, to the person who wrote the review... And that's all the review was. It wasn't anything to do with with the show in no, general. It no. was strictly about that episode right. and how we were completely wrong. Yes. And that's fine if, it, if that's what you want to believe. And because I believe the exact opposite. I believe they were railroaded. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is, I found one one article online that said that uh, they thought that they were guilty, and it was all these different facts that Damien had lied about. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I had every intention on reading it. And I, I, the more, but the more I got into it, the more I was like, I didn't have anything other than that article saying this. And there was no proof that this was not just some crackpot that decided to start a website.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: based on this. And so I just decided after looking at it, with not having any proof at all, that, or, you know, because I couldn't find anything else to say, oh, yeah, well, he did lie about this. Yeah. Like one of the things was, it, it said that uh, Damien told police that the whoever it was that killed them peed, made them, peed in their mouth and made them drink the pee, oh, Jesus. and that two of the boys they found urine in their system. Well, that's fine if that's what happened, but I didn't see anything anywhere that mm-hmm. said that. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So. I, I didn't feel right about coming on and saying well damien no, now damien supposedly lied about all these things when yeah. i had zero proof that right. any of that was even true right
2: but at the end like i said at the end of the day it was a terrible thing to happen to those sweet sweet babies and you know we just i don't know
1: and we got Andrea Whitney coming on in a few minutes, and Andrea talks a little bit about this because she spent two years on this case, mm-hmm. and she's interviewed Damien, and she's interviewed prosecutors yeah. and, and stuff like that. So she just gives a little bit of insight, not too much. Uh, but I, while I had her on, I was I would be, you know— silly not to ask her about it since mm-hmm. we just did the story on it yeah and probably sillier for not bringing her on the story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> since she did have so much knowledge but yeah either way so thank you so much for your iTunes reviews we've got Jekyll Hyde 77 Black Hawk 2020 and Estrayer Mm-hmm. Thank you guys. You're thank awesome. Thank you guys so much. Keep spreading the word and please, these iTunes reviews help us so much, especially this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's looking for paranormal shows, and, and those reviews is what puts us in the forefront. Yeah, woohoo. Patreon supporters, Austin Lowry and Renee Garcia, thank you guys so much.
2: Thank you guys. We, that really means a lot to us. And we got a lot of fun stuff coming up, especially this time of year. We're excited about that. We've got all of our decorations out. Yeah. So um, today, and so that's really cool. And uh, yeah, if you guys have any stories or whatever uh, want to tell us, you can let us know. We can put you on the show, or go to our face, uh, or I mean our group, and join our group. It's so much fun. I have laughed my butt off today at some of the stuff people have put on there. It's so funny. So please join our group and have fun with us. And if you guys have anything questions, everybody in the group is right there to help you uh, with the answer. And it's just, a, like I said, it's a fun group, and we hope you – we've been getting a lot of people, actually. I know it. And I, I just – it warms my heart because – I know, we
1: started this thing back in February. Yeah. Well, we didn't start it. Natasha, Natasha started did. it. Natasha did. And now we've got almost 2,000 people there.
2: I know. And it's just I, – I just feel so blessed, honestly, and humbled, I guess, because – I don't know. It's just such a great feeling to have all these wonderful people as our family now. So we love you guys, and we hope you um, keep joining the group and having fun with us. Yeah,
1: we do have a large family now, and don't expect Christmas gifts.
2: Dude, I would give every single one. If I had tons of money, I would get every one of you all something. I would. I would. I'd get every on one of you something.
1: That's like a crappy kind of thing, though, to say. It's like, because you don't really have to back that up. Anybody can say that. Anybody, I know. I would end starving Dude, in third world countries if I, I had the money. I would demonic. seriously do well, that. Wouldn't? Well,
2: wouldn't? Well, you'd be surprised.
1: Grozy <laughs> O'Donnell, because you could save all the money to eat on her own.
2: i <laughs> y'all picking on her again? Yep. But I'll give y'all virtual hugs and love because I, I do love you guys so much.
1: While we're on the subject of cool stuff, we're two weeks away. Two weeks away from Nashville, Graveyard Tales, us, EVP Mediums, and Macabre Melts. Melts. Guys, if you have not bought your ticket, please do not put this off because there is only a handful of tickets left.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm so excited about the show. Number one, I cannot wait to meet everybody. Yeah. I'm so uh, like fan struck by them. And also Nashville's just a cool town. Nashville is a really cool town. I mean, town. it's just such a cool place. So we hope you guys uh, come and see us and everything and it's just gonna be a fun time. I'm and very keep excited. in mind also
1: that This place at Hell Nashville has all kinds of weird crap in it. Oh my gosh! I mean, it's macabre as macabre gets, and you're going to have have David and the group from uh, EVP Mediums Mm -hmm. doing a live spirit box session there. I'm excited about that. That that. is going to be good. We've not had any live events where we've had something like that happen. Right, right. And then you're going to have Bree from Macab melts up. I know Bree does tarot card readings. She does Ouija board readings and all that stuff. I don't, I don't know that she's doing any of that stuff that night. But I mean,
2: she makes excellent candles and they're yeah. beautiful they're sparkly yeah
1: and she'll have some hillbilly horror story candles there that night
2: yeah so we are so looking forward to seeing you guys for that
1: 10 bucks go to our website hillbillyhorrorstories.com correct yeah any age any age we've got some uh um definitely got some kids coming
2: good I'm glad it yeah. will be something fun for them to do unless
1: they start yelling and screaming then I'm going to kick them out
2: no you're not yeah, I will you won't
1: I will I'll I put a curse you. on them I <laughs> I'm sure there's a book in there somewhere where I can learn
2: uh, nah we love it we and love when the kids are coming the
1: following week Brohio, Twisted Philly and us in Cincinnati and this is going to be awesome. And there is only a handful of those tickets left. Yeah. And Dina, Dina's urging everybody to uh, dress up.
2: Yeah, that would be, be fun. It's going Why to
1: be the, the Saturday before Halloween. Yeah. A bunch of people are planning on going from there to Bobby Mackey's afterwards. <gasps> um, no
2: kidding. Yeah. I so didn't a lot of people, be, a lot
1: of people be going to. What a shock! You didn't know something. That I, we were well, I just didn't. That would
2: be so cool. So
1: yeah. It's going to be awesome. You guys
2: will get to meet Bobby. I'm sure he's such a sweetheart.
1: He is. He he's is. very,
2: very kind, and um, it's a fun place. It's good music, and you can take that 30 minute tour downstairs or whatever. Yep,
1: you can see the uh,
2: the well portal to hell. Yeah,
1: the see? well hell. Come on, hell guys, well. this is
2: going to be so much fun.
1: Yep, come on out. Dina said something about maybe doing some face painting mm-hmm. too. So, Dina, look.
2: Look, for I will be, be down for that myself. For those of
1: you who do not know, Dina Marie can do some makeup for yeah, Halloween. Yeah, she
2: is so talented. She in has every... got
1: all kinds of, of mm-hmm. uh, pictures up of some of the makeup that she's done that's Dude, I'm damn so awesome. down for that.
2: I am down. I wish I could keep it on for like, like till the 31st. <laughs> 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 that would be so amazing.
1: All right, so we're going to end the show with Andrea Whitney. Yeah. And
2: you guys really need to listen to this story because this story is fascinating. And it's so funny because she was like, I'm pretty sure I told you this story. And I'm like, dude, believe me, if you had told us this story, we would not. Forget yeah. This we story. would have
1: remembered this story. This is like one of those stories. that's like, you just, it sticks in your head and there's no way you're going to forget it. No.
2: Uh-uh. And it's, and it has to do with her personally. So,
1: and here's the thing. I, I, I need you to be a little patient with this. We recorded this last night spent 50 minutes recording this and none of it took
2: can you believe that crap
1: none of it took so we had to redo it today and, and she was a sweetheart, she was a sweetheart because she was working and she was driving so for the first 10 minutes or so of this interview there is a little bit of road noise in the background mm-hmm. but she eventually pulls off the road and uh it, it clears up and it's perfect so just if you hear a little bit of road noise it gets better mm-hmm. but trust me pay attention to the story not the road noise yeah the story and, is and i'm really telling something. you you'll be you'll be glad you listen yeah yeah so here's andrea hey guys as usual around this time of year we've got andrea whitney on andrea always comes on and tells us some of the coolest stories uh, from especially the uh, stories that she's researched through her, her years of being in the newspaper, and she is the editor-in-chief of Jasper Newsboy. Andrea, you're driving, and we appreciate you uh, giving us some time when you can. Hey, no problem.
0: I appreciate being on again. I just hate that I have to be on the road, but hey, we'll get it done.
1: Well, that's okay. It uh, You know, whatever it takes to get it done. Your your schedule is the only person I know who who is has a schedule similar to what mine is where you're never really off so it makes it really difficult to schedule these things and i must say we recorded this last night and i lost every bit of it we had so
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. But, you know, the good thing, guys, is that that gave me a little bit of time to rehearse today so that I wouldn't use so many ums and ands and wells. (laughs) So hopefully it'll be a little bit better.
1: (laughs) In fairness, that doesn't affect anybody but me because I cut all those out. So the audience never hears those anyway.
0: Oh, So I basically just, you know, told told off on myself. So I (laughs) will.
1: All right. You've got a story for us today that is a personal story. And I learned this last night for the first time, and I thought it was super intriguing. I thought it was a fantastic story, and I can't wait to actually hear it again. I know that sounds silly, but... I think it's an amazing story. So, Andrea, I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you tell your story.
0: Okay, Jerry. Well, thank you. Like I said, I always want to say thank you for having me on. I appreciate each and every time. This story was one I was a little bit leery about because, I, you know, I, just, I always worry about, you know, if the audience is going to like it. I always want it to be perfect for you guys. But after last night, you know, you and I talked, it's been Yes, I'm happy to do it again. This story's a hard one to tell, but I do think it's one that needs to be told. Just a little bit of backstory, so you'll kind of know where I'm going. I'll be 42 in December, when I was, I had just turned 17 years old. I was your typical teenage, cheerleader, happy-go-lucky, loved everybody, thought nothing bad could ever happen to me. I had just gotten a brand new car, a sports car, Toyota Celica, I loved it. Uh, parents were behind me we had decided to go get the oil tanks in my car and my mom and dad were going to follow me to town to do this and we were on a two-lane road you know i live out in the middle of nowhere where i grew up there's a lot of you know just highways and byways that are with and winding and narrow so you always have to be careful right as we were probably i'd say 12 miles from our house And right as I topped the hill, there was a gentleman who was in a pickup truck who, right as I topped that hill, he swerved completely into my lane. And we hit headlights to headlights. Pretty high impact. They said he was going 79, and I was going 52. So you can imagine the impact of of that that crash. My parents were the first ones on the scene. My dad was the fire chief for the city of Orange. He was a paramedic. But this was out of his hands. He, it, it was just, it was a horrific crash. And I, I, do want to say that the gentleman who did, who was involved in the accident with me, was our neighbor. I grew up with him. He did not survive. He actually, my dad, we were waiting on the paramedics and life and my dad was frantic, uh, running back doing what he could, and the gentleman, Mr. Schomster, told my dad, he said, I, I'm not going to make it, you have to take Andrea, and he died, so I said, I have no, I feel no ill will towards him, in fact, I feel a little bit guilty, I think about him every day, because maybe if I would have, I could have seen something, maybe I could have moved or, or done something different, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, I just wanted to, to get that out there and that's something I didn't mention last night. My flight did arrive. It took them thirty two minutes to get to me. By this time it was I mean, I was I was still conscious, but I was bleeding profusely and the car had caught on fire. There were two options. Option one was to leave me there and option two was to get the jaws of life and for lack of better words, pull like hell and get me out. And that's what they did. They did not realize it at the time, they knew it was bad, but they didn't realize that I had pretty much shattered everything from the orbital sockets under my eyes down literally to my toes, from my back, my hips, my legs, my arms, my shoulders. I punctured both lungs. I had to have my spleen removed, I had liver damage from the impact, I had brain swelling, anyway, just the whole gamut of things. By the time they took me to Beaumont, the doctors in Beaumont said, you know, they told my parents, we're we're so sorry, but she's not going to survive, you know, she might have a few hours left. And so, with that, my parents did what every family does, when you're faced with that, you do the best you can and you call in the family and you do what you can and you prepare for the worst. The doctor who was Dr. Mickey Smith, who ended up becoming a great family friend, he spent past nine, was leaving the next day for Florida for a vacation. And he, he told my parents, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm leaving. Dr. Allo will be here to take care of her. Just, you know, your typical feel of what was going to happen. My parents thanked him. They continued to, to prepare for my death, basically. Well, it rocked on. And my mom was, wanted to, my parents never left my side, ever. They were always there with me. If one wasn't, the other one was It rocked us for a little bit. I made it through the night. Dr. Smith came in again, and my mom said, I thought you were gone. He said, well, I was, but when I found out she was still with us, I had to come see it for myself. You know, they kept doing what they could. I was on life support. I had very little brain activity, but my parents just could not they couldn't let go and they didn't let go and during this time i was unconscious i obviously don't remember anything but my mom was with me and she would sit beside the bed and she would have everyone that came in she would have them write me a letter and she would read those to me over and over and over. She would play music. She would talk about things. She would read books to me. She would anything that could possibly get a reaction. And, you know, that thing ever did, but she didn't stop. Well, one evening, mom said it was about 2.30 in the morning. And I was in ICU. Things had taken a turn for the worse, and, and they were, you know, again, just waiting for me to, to leave this world. And a nurse came in. Her name was Mig, and Mig told my mom that she would like to shampoo my hair. Now, to back up just a little bit, by this time, I had been flat on my back for six weeks. I had had massive head injuries. They had opened up. You know, my skull felt really swelling, so my head had been shaved and packed, and they, my hair had become just a matted mess, and I had hair down to my hips, and it was my pride and joy, but the uh, decision had been made that they were going to have to pretty much just shave my head, and my mom knew that that was going to break my heart. As a 17-year-old kid, we are a little bit faint, and I was no different. They came in and said, I would like to shampoo and French braid Andrea's hair. And my mom said, what? And she said, I'm a nurse. I'm here to help. And I think I can I can French braid her hair. And my mom said, there's no way you can do that. I mean, she, you know, all the machines, the leads, the wires. She said, no, I can't. I, I'm here to help. And mom said she was about four foot nine, couldn't have weighed a hundred pounds. She was a little oriental lady, very pretty lady. My mom said, well, okay, you're the nurse. It never crossed my mom's mind. This was the middle of the night. You know, why in the world would, would a nurse come and do this? But it didn't cross her mind. You know, she had a lot of other stuff on her mind. So mom said that she remembers me going to the head of the bed. She had an inflatable shampoo bowl. And my mom said that she put her head down on the bed, and she drifted off to sleep. She said she woke up. She thought it had been just a few minutes, but it obviously about an hour and a half had passed. And she woke up, and she looked up, said my hair was frustrated, you know, kind of coming down the side of my shoulder. It was beautiful. It was shiny. It was, you couldn't see the, the bald spots where they had shaved it. She had done an exceptional job, and it was beautiful. My mom looked up for Meg, and Meg was standing in the, the doorway in the hospital, of the, my hospital, my room. She looked up my mom and said, thank you. And Meg said, I want you to know that this is going to be a very hard road, but she's going to make it. And my mom said, how do you know that? You know, how, how do you know? Because this was a really dark time for my mom because this room is blessed they always put the worst cases in this room and my mom said well okay you know thank you for that and, and she thanked her and big left and you know that was it my dad got to the hospital about seven the next morning to relieve my mom so she could go get a shower and get something to eat mom said, you know, I, I felt like I really wanted to get her a thank you card and like a candy bouquet for, for doing that, because that's not something that she's required to do, and she went over and above, and so mom left, got a shower, went down to the gift shop, got a card and a candy bouquet, and she made her way back up to the ICU nurse station. and in, I'm sure if any of you have ever been in ICU, Jerry, you I'm sure have, if you're in above there are eyes on you all the time. You know, visitors are very limited. The nurses are the queens; They know everything that's going on. So mom made her way up to Nancy, who was the charge nurse. And she said, hey, Nancy, I just want to leave this here for me. And Nancy said, who? And she said, Miss Andrea's nurse last night, who came and spent all that time on her hair. And Nancy said, what are you talking about? And she said, the nurse last night came in, shampooed and frustrated and his hair. She said, Nancy looked kind of aggravated and mad. And she said, uh, no, ma'am. She said, number one, we would never allow that. Number two, I'm working a double, and I've had eyes on YouTube all night, and no one came in that room. And awesome. You don't understand. Come, you know, come see. And so Nancy followed her in there. And sure enough, you know, I'm laying there with a a beautiful head of hair. Um, Probably, you know, I had, my mom said it looked akin to going to prom. It was that, it was that beautiful. So Nancy looked miffed. She didn't understand. She couldn't figure out how I how that happened when she was she was there. She was at the nurses station. So this bothered Nancy so much. And my mom just you know, my poor mother, she just wanted to thank her. That's all she wanted to do. So together they took off and they walked the halls of the hospital. They went to the volunteer beauty shop. They went to the ladies that worked volunteer at the front. They Pediatrics. They talked to oncology. They talked to PRN nurses. No one, no one knew whom it was except Dr. Mickey Smith. Dr. Smith would come in four or five times a day. He just couldn't believe that I was still there. He didn't know what to do because he had done everything that he could to stabilize me and nothing was, was working, but yet I wasn't giving up. So he came in about the time that mom and Nancy had come back to the nurse's station. He said, you know, how's our girl doing? And Nancy was giving him an update. Nancy said, you know, listen to what happened, Dr. Smith. And she told him everything that had just transpired. Dr. Smith looked at my mom. He looked at Nancy. Then my mom said all of the, the color in his face just drained out. She knew something was wrong. She said, Dr. Smith, what's wrong? He said, Can you stay right here for a few minutes? I need to go to my office. And mom said, Well, sure. And he said, Don't go anywhere. I'll, I'll be back. So they waited there. And about 20 minutes, he came back. He said, What was her name? My mom said, Nick. Dr. Smith said, Can you describe her for me? And mom said, Well, yeah, she's about four foot nine. She is, you know, oriental. She was beautiful. She had big brown eyes. Um, she was just a, a beautiful girl. Dr. Smith had some pictures in his doctor's lab coat, and he pulled it out, and it was of him and Meg. And he said, is this who you saw? And Mom said, oh, yeah, that's her. That's her. Um, you know, do you know her, and can you, can you help me get get this bouquet to her? And he looked at her, and he said, no, I can't, Miss Hudson. She's been dead for 12 years. She died in a car accident. She was hit by a drunk driver and I'm the one that took care of her. And my mom said, "What?" And he said, "She she she died. She's been gone." My mom said, "No. I I just saw her." And he said, "I believe you, but she's gone." You know, Dr. Smith said I pronounced her. I I I know And my mom said, well, I know that I saw her. Dr. Smith said, I I believe you. I I believe you. So um, come to find out, you know, Meg had, in fact, died in a horrific car accident. She had been taken to the ICU and put in the exact room that I was in. For some reason, whatever it may be, Meg came back that night. I don't believe it was for me. I believe it was for my mom because my mom had lost all hope, but yet she couldn't let go. It gave her the hope that she needed, that there was something bigger out there that was looking after me. It was seven months later to the day that I woke up. I was unconscious for seven months. Don't remember any of it except the day that I woke up. That's when the fight began because... I had broken everything, and they hadn't repaired anything because I couldn't survive surgery. I wasn't supposed to survive, you know, they told my parents, you know, even after I woke up, her quality of life is going to be zero, you know, it, and and I beat it. I kept fighting. It was a fight to learn to brush my teeth. It was a fight to learn to, to button the shirt, and it wasn't that my mind wasn't strong. My body was so weak that I couldn't do it, but... There is always hope, and I think that's why I wanted to tell this story, and I, I feel like I fit it in better last night, but um, I, I do want to say it again, is that Hillbilly Horror Stories has become a family, across the globe, a family. You guys are always so very open about depression and mental illness and suicide. It's very hard to admit, but... When I woke up, that's when the hard part began for me. I fought the depression. I fought the, I mean, it was a lot worse than just the blues, to put it, I'll put it that way. And I think it's important to remember that no matter how bad it is, I can promise you that there's somebody out there that's going to understand. You just have to reach out and you have to have hope. And if, if you grab hope from God or if you grab hope from a, someone else or if you grab hope from a ghost or an angel or whatever it was, so be it. You do what you need to do, and that's why I wanted to share this. It's a hard one to share because it is so personal because anyone, Jerry, you've been there. You've been through major surgery. The hardest part for me is that you lose your dignity. You depend on everyone to do everything for you. And coming back from that is very hard. But if there's anybody that wasn't supposed to be here, it would say, for some reason, you know, I'm here. And and I don't know what that reason is, but I do think it was important for me to share that. I don't, it's the strangest thing because I, I don't know Meg. I've never seen her in my life. I've never even seen those pictures. But in my mind, I can see her perfectly. I can tell you from head to toe what she looks like. I don't know why. So there's, there's something there, you know, was it, was it a ghost, was it an angel? Who's to say? And I don't really think at this point it matters. What matters is that he was there, not for me, like I said, but for my mother. And she did what she could do to, to offer hope. And all that was with a few words, it turned everything around for my, for my mother. And my whole family. And that's the story of (laughs) Meg.
1: That's such a cool story. Uh, And how many surgeries? Because I don't think you touched on it here where you did last night. How many surgeries did you have to have? 48.
0: And I know it's unbelievable, but 48. Amazing. Over a a five-year period. They rebuilt my face. They rebuilt my hips. They rebuilt my back. (laughs) They rebuilt my arms, my ankle. I have scars. You know, I, I was very self-conscious about him for a long time until I realized that nobody really sees him except me. People don't care. And if they do care, you really don't need those people in your corner. The people that are in my corner,
1: they'll care. Now, Andrew, we touched on something last night, and we're probably not going to go into as much detail as we did last night on it. But I did want to bring up, since we just did West Memphis 3, that yes. you actually spent a couple of years researching this, interviewing some of these people, and you've talked to Damian Eccles on more than one occasion. What is your opinion on what happened to West Memphis Three as far as basically do you think that those three are guilty or do you think those three are innocent?
0: I think they are innocent. I think that, and you and I talked about this and I thought about it more last night, um, I, I think that Damien did not serve himself well by some of the things that he said. But I do not think that they did it. Absolutely not. The one thing that Damien said over and over to me that's engraved in my mind was that Andrea, do you know what the worst part of this whole scenario is? And I said, what? He said, it's that three little boys were murdered, and whoever did that got away, and they will never be brought to that. His weight on him heavily. We talked about this last night. I, I do think that the West Memphis Three, or you know. Ms. Kelly Baldwin and Eccles, I do think they are innocent. I lean towards Mark Byers. You kind of lean towards Terry Hobbs. And something, like we talked last night, something just keeps bringing me back to Mark Byers. But after we talked, I thought, you know what? I think there's something to this. I think that maybe there's a possibility that, like you said, Jerry, there were both stepfathers, and I actually brought up that there was definite resentment towards those little kids by their stepfathers for whatever reason. Who knows what it is? I just i I think there's something to it. We will never know because it will never be opened again. Because and and I think the Alfred plea is a slap in the face. I think the Alfred, Alfred plea is a slap in the face to our justice system and everyone that. That believes in our justice system, and especially a slap in the face to, they're not boys anymore, but to those three men. You know, how do you, how do you do that? And how do you interview a child with the IQ of a five year old without an attorney present? You know, how, how does that happen? And the, you know, the judge, before he ever put that gavel down the very first time, he had it set in his mind that those boys were guilty i agree that's just you know that's just my opinion and we all have opinions and, and you know that's one thing i love about this group is we can respect each other's opinions, you know and we can discuss it and we can debate it i think they were railroaded i don't think you know granted some of the things that they said was, no that was that that wasn't good but i also think that Damien was 17 at the time, and for probably the first time in his life, he had a lot of attention, more than he's ever had in his entire life. I think maybe some of the things that he said were to keep some of this attention, you know, in his, you know, his own words. He said, I wanted to be a badass. He said, and I wasn't. <laughs> he said, I really wasn't. He said, but I wanted everybody to they saw us. You know, Jesse Miss Kelly, I think if anyone, anyone was underserved, Jesse Miss Kelly was. And thank goodness that his defense attorney was, uh, I have a soft spot for his defense attorney because he really loved Jesse Miss Kelly. He wanted to to help that family. You know, he told me, he said, you don't understand what it's like to watch, you know, this this kid brought away in handcuffs and his father just you know the only one that you know that he really was close to was his dad and his dad was already you know in his up in years and he said it it just it tore a family apart it tore it tore a state apart and it was right in the middle of the hole and I hate that term but the Satanic panic panic um and I just think that that those boys were, were railroaded. And like Damien said, the worst thing about this yeah. is, if there's a killer out there, who got away free? And there's three little boys that will never grow up. They will never marry. They will never go to prom. They'll never have children. Their families are left with a legacy of corruption.
1: Well, it's like you said, because they took the Alfred plea, that's case right. closed. So they're not looking for anybody else as far as they're concerned. Yeah. Those three are guilty because that's the plea they got, case closed.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, you know, Damien said he was so torn. He said he he almost didn't take the plea. And he said, I don't know if I mentioned this last night, but he had said that he had, you know, discussions with, like we said, Johnny Depp, and, and Eddie Better was one of them. And Eddie Better was the one who said, you have to take this plea because you're not ever going to get your word out behind bars. You know, he said, it's a crappy deal, but you have to take it. He said, you know, he didn't, and even when, if you watch the footage, whenever they go to, to take the police, he says beforehand, I didn't want to do this, but, you know, I didn't do this, but I am going to take the Alfred police. And it, that closed. It was over. But, I do believe the judge and the lead investigator and the DA, I think they were they were all just this was going to be their their moment to shine in their eyes and they didn't care what it took, they were gonna get their case.
1: Yeah, it's so. a shame, but I, I agree, I think that's what happened. So Andrea, I know you got a thousand things going on. I appreciate you taking some time out to talk to us and you're gonna come back on before Halloween to tell us another cool story, right? I am. We're
0: going to do The Witch's Grave. So, just as soon as I wrap up research on that, I'll be back on to tell you guys a little bit more about The Witch's Grave.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrea. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that story. That was, it's inspirational to say the least.
2: It is inspirational. And I mean, I'm shocked that she went through that. thats That's heartbreaking. I mean,
1: that's overcoming all the odds. It
2: is, and you know, and for her parents to watch it all happen, I, I can't even imagine what I just cannot even imagine. For God bless her; she pulled through that, and we are so glad she did. And we really appreciate you sharing that story with us, honey.
1: And you know, Andrea, she's just she's a wealth of knowledge. She's oh, got I know. so many, you know, different stories, it, and she would really like to. Just be able to write about paranormal stuff yeah, all the time. Yeah. That's what she would love she to, would be be able to do. She would be great at it so. for sure. Well, guys, that wraps up the very first installment of October Halloween slash edition of Hillbilly Horror Story starting this week.
2: I know, and exciting. It I'm so exciting. excited. So I hope you guys have a blessed week. Uh, love one another and just have uh, positive thoughts through the week. And we will talk to you all next week.
1: Yep. And we've got special guests coming up all this month. I know. Woo. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Love you guys. This is not a test. The podcast you are listening to is now over. I repeat, this is not a test. Do not panic. Go to hibalywhorrorstories.com and click on Patreon. I repeat, this is not a test. The podcast you are listening to is now over.